Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome home to your Boo Crew 344. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. At time of release, there was a new film in theaters this weekend that really exemplifies everything we love about the genre. It is called Barbarian. It is the brainchild of one Zach Kreger, who you will be joining this episode to hear about his wonderful journey of making what is certainly a modern classic. This film is going to affect you in ways, quite possibly, that no film you've seen has made you feel. That was certainly the case for us. It is exhilarating. And Zach breaks down all of it for you over the next hour. A heads up. This is a film that you want to go into knowing as little as possible. That said, there is a spoiler alert that you will not be able to miss during the last part of this conversation that really starts digging into the film so do yourself a favor and certainly come back for that part only after you have experienced barbarian then next week come back for even more barbarian with the film's producer as well as one of the most instrumental voices in modern horror roy lee right now it's the boo crew episode 344 with writer and director zach Kreger. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an absolutely brilliant creator. It was back in 2000 that he took his skills of years of improv comedy in high school and into college to form what became The Whitest Kids You Know, a sketch troupe that took home an award from HBO's U.S. Comedy Arts Festival, eventually landing them their own TV series. Their five-season run is not only critically acclaimed, but the genius writing and performances created a whole new fusion of experimental comedy and internet culture that has defined a generation. Their work expanded into the feature film world and for our guests more opportunities as a director and producer as an actor he took a starring role in NBC's Friends with Benefits Jimmy Fallon's award nominated Guys with Kids TBS's Wrecked and more then he went and single-handedly wrote and directed one of the most deeply disturbing and insane horror films of all time we're not joking here it's a real showpiece of tension and misdirection that will be talked about forever Moving forward, we guarantee this. It stars Georgina Campbell, Bill Skarsgård, and Justin Long. Follows a woman on a dark and stormy night to an Airbnb to find that it has been double booked. That's pretty much the pitch there. And it gets more insane as as the events evolve. It is called Barbarian. It's in theaters September 9th. We are honored to be here with the master behind it all, Mr. Zach Kreger. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. What an intro. More than well deserved, my friend. I appreciate that. So (laughs) thanks for making this new classic. And we want to crawl inside your head for just a, a bit here before we get into the film you and the horror genre do you remember some of your earliest impactful moments with horror as a viewer and how those affected you oh uh for sure i, I think that the, the single biggest moment was uh i was at a friend's sleepover 
His older brother had rented The Shining. I was probably 12. And that scene where Danny rounds the corner and the girls are staring, standing there in the hallway. Yeah. It scared me in such a visceral way. I felt like an electric current was running through my body. It was a physical sensation. And it was like so intense. And it was so like simultaneously like awful and joyful you know and i've been like craving that hit ever since like nothing has ever hit me quite the same but that was that was the moment where i got the taste of like this is what horror can do i love it i'm i'm in wow so what are some of the movies that you've discovered since that that get close over the years that have been become your favorites the exorcist scared the hell out of me as a a kid also i had a really intense experience in the theater watching the descent yes Um, you know, I, I, on repeat viewings, I don't think I've loved it as much, but I had a, I had some moments watching the orphanage um, that, you know, that that like peekaboo game part of the orphanage really got me. Um, so there, there's plenty. I mean, I'm I'm a sucker. I, I, I really I love horror. I love to be scared. Um the conjuring, the the the, the clapping sequence, and the conjuring, I was just like expertly done. So so there's there's many. I could do this forever. Uh, <laughs> we we love it. We love I'm it. I'm a fan, man. I'm just I, I've just I, I really love it. So you went and started to write your own horror film in Barbarian. So was this the first time you've actually went about the whole process of beginning to write your own horror film? Has there been other scripts that you've worked on before no, this? No, I'd written uh, other. I'd written plenty of other scripts. I, I wrote one other straight up horror script uh, a few years ago. And at the time, my manager read it and he was just like, uh, I don't think so, man. He was just he like really shut me down in a really hard way. And it discouraged me for a while from coming back to the horror thing. I, he's, he's not my manager anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, this script, I didn't actually even sit down to write a feature film. I, I sat down to just write one scene. I had, I had read this book called The Gift of Fear uh, by, this, by this guy named Gavin DeBecker, who's a security consultant. And he'd, he'd written this book that was like, uh, a big part of it was kind of written to women on encouraging them to pay attention to their like subconscious red flags that arise sure. in their day-to-day interactions with men. And society has kind of trained a lot of women to like ignore these little warning flags because you don't want to be seen as a bitch or as difficult or you don't want to like create a situation that might piss a man off. And so um, he was basically mapping out all of these little things that guys can do that are like invisible red flags. And he was saying like, you got to pay attention to these because they do matter and you got to trust your intuition. And as I was reading this book, I just had this realization that like I, as a man, do not this this is all news to me because I go through my day to day life completely oblivious to the the, you know, the myriad threats that women have to encounter all the time. I live in a completely alien psychic landscape than most women do because I'm a dude and because half the population doesn't look at me like potential prey. And it just, it was like an epiphany. I just, I just realized, um, how lucky I was. And so I wanted to just write a scene where I could load as many of these seemingly innocuous red flags into one interaction as humanly possible. And so, so I just sat down and I was like, what, what's, what's in it? What's a scenario where a man could trip these little invisible wires? Um, and a guy might not notice it, but every woman that watches this would. And so I came up with the idea of checking into an Airbnb late at night and it's double booked and you have no options and, uh, and let's go, let's see what I can do. So I just, I just wanted it to be like a 30 page scene and I was writing it and I was having a great time. And then um, 
as I was going, I didn't know where it was headed. I kind of assumed that the guy was going to be a bad guy. And I don't want to get into any spoiler territory. But around the midpoint here, I got frustrated with the writing process. And I realized that, like, if I know where this is going, the viewer probably is going to know where this is going. So I got to just flip it on its head. And I was like, hmm. And I wrote this twist that happens. Uh, and there was no more forethought than that. I was just in the moment. I was like, I'm bored. I have to change everything. Boom. Here it goes. And I don't want to say what it was because I don't want to do any spoilers. But like the movie that you are advertised, the, the trailer is not the movie that you're going to see. Right. Uh, it changes a lot. And we, you know, we really can really only show you the tip of the iceberg in the promotional material. So um, I guess at the risk of, of, of doing any spoilers, I won't say much more. But um, basically, I just wanted to write a fun scene for myself. And it ended up just being something that hooked me. And I didn't know where it was going. And then it turned into to a feature film. Oh, that's extraordinary. Now, just to rewind just a little bit, just on your creative process, just in script writing in general, is it something that's a discipline for you? Do you make yourself sit in a certain place at a certain time every day, vomit onto the screener page for however long, just to force yourself to just exercise those creative muscles? Or are you the type of writer who needs to be inspired in the middle of the night, maybe, if that's what it takes and you only go to it when you need and when you feel the inspiration i spend a lot of time waiting for an idea to come so it could be months where i don't write anything and then when i have an idea i will sit down and attack and usually those will burn out in a week or so and i'll kind of move on you know for barbarian it was like i had the idea that day i sat down started writing and then I would write at night in this room, in this garage. I would turn on these colored lamps, so it would be all red in here. I'd cut the lights, so it would be all red. I would turn on this super evil, ambient, like, devil music. And then I would just write it at night. And uh, and I and I really don't write long. I write, like, an hour at a stretch. So I would write, like, like little scenes here and there, and I would try and quit while I was loving it. Um, so that I was excited to jump back in the next day. And I think Barbarian took me about, like, two months to write Not and then bad. I did another rewrite like uh, shortly after but yeah it, it came out pretty quick and then how long ago was this uh, you know uh, that was in like timeline. 2018 okay. and you know it's a weird movie it doesn't follow like a traditional story structure you know save the cat would would not apply to barbarian mm-hmm. at all and so uh, it took me forever to get anyone to go down the road with me on this I sent it to everyone I knew in town I got a thousand no's it was pretty much like looking dead in the water and I, for a moment I was thinking like I love this I believe in this maybe I gotta like sell my house and like go into debt and like you know shoot it it for if i can get like a million dollars somehow and like just try and shoot it that way like i'll try and you know luckily uh, i got it over to the guys at boulder light and they really responded to it and they championed it and they got it to roy lee and then roy lee got funding and then off to the races yeah we were Um, actually we had the opportunity to talk with roy about the project and about kind of his discovery of it and he had said just that that it was a project that has been around for a little bit passed from every studio you'd figure would take a shot at a new horror film and all of Mm -hmm. them were like no 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 till it got to him and he's like holy shit what do you guys what did you guys pass yeah and you know what's crazy is that my agent did send it to vertigo roy's company like a year and a half earlier and his the reader was like no (laughs) so it didn't even get to roy you know it took it took a year and a half to go by for the boulder light guys to be like roy read this and then when he finally read it yeah he he liked it what do you think it is about what do you think it is about that script that made you believe in it so much 
I just, I just knew that like every time I started reading it and I don't want to sound arrogant here, yeah. but like every time I started reading it, I would read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I just, I'm always really hard on my own writing and I, it was just, it, to me it felt, and maybe, you know, other people won't agree with me, but it felt bulletproof to me. I just, I just really was the most proud of this than, uh, of anything, uh, else that I've written. And I was just like, this feels kind of like my, my personal fulfillment of the promise that I made to myself, like, uh, at the, at the outset of this project, I feel like I delivered. And if this isn't good enough, then I don't know if I have it. You know, I feel like this is as good as I've got. And so I was just like, I'm just not going to quit on this one. I'm I'm just going to, if it takes me four years to find somebody to make the movie, then that's what it's going to do. I just was kind of crazy like that. And I, and I, you know, I went to bed every night, playing the movie in my mind as I fell asleep. Like every single night for like, I don't know how many years I like played the movie. So by the time I was like working on the shots with my DP, I was like, I know exactly where the camera goes. You know, I know exactly how this scene is supposed to play out. And I know exactly what to tell the actors to like bring them where it's got to go. So I, I felt like I'd been making this movie for years by the time I got onto the set. It was, I don't think I'll ever have another experience like sure, that. Sure, sure. It's like a band writing their first album. I was going to say, a lot of musicians say that their first album is like their whole life's worth scraped into that. And then their second album is like their first album. Exactly. Yeah. Like with the Whitest Kids, you know, it's like our first season, you know, we've been doing uh, a live show for like five years. So our first season, we already had a library of like, I don't know how many hundreds of sketches. So we just went through and picked our favorite. The best of the best. Exactly. And then season two is like, oh, we got to start all over. Like we got to start writing because otherwise we're just going to take the B team from the pool that we've already exhausted. What's next? What's next? Feed the beast. Yeah. Yeah. So was there always, was that always the idea that you knew that when this thing got made that you would be the one to direct? Or were you ever thinking like, oh, I'd love this person to direct it? I had an offer from a studio that wanted to buy the script, but they didn't want me to direct. And it was like not even a conversation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, it served served the script better to have you directing, especially you living it every night, too. Thanks. Leo, you had a question about the writing process a bit before we move on. We uh, we watch a lot of horror movies in, in theaters or streaming, and you know, uh, over the last ten years, this has got to be like the third movie that's actually gotten to me. Like, I, I, man, my heart was racing, man. This, this, really, this movie oh, is wow. yeah, fantastic. Uh, what were the other two? Out of curiosity. Okay, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. That one really uh-huh. gave me an anxiety attack. And more recently, Crawl, because I have a fear of drowning. Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> So this yeah. one did some cool things with uh, claustrophobia and space and dark shadows and dark, you know. All that cool stuff. Great, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, right off the bat, uh, as the movie starts, there's a sense of dread, you know, that something's really off, and it's just a brilliant, awkward dialogue between Tess and Keith. Was this written with Georgina and Bill in mind? Uh, no, um, it was. It was not. Um, is the short answer to your question? It was. It was just kind of written with two abstract, you know, characters in my mind. Right. So um, when you were living that movie in your head, did you cast it at all? Were you casting it with anybody that you do you thought of at the time? Um. No. No. Nobody. Uh, and I think that maybe going forwards, like. Uh, I don't know if that's a good strategy or not. You sure. know, I know that like the Coen brothers write with actors in mind, mm-hmm. but they can because they know they're going to get them. You know, right. I don't think quite there yet. So I, I try and keep it open, I think. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious. There's so much going on with the script and it's got such drastic tonal shifts. 
And mm. we love that because it's constantly, like as a viewer, it seems to constantly inject the viewer's brain with endorphins because of that. And it's not just like a roller coaster, but it's like the very first time you go on a roller coaster. So you can't, you feel that tension, but you cannot anticipate what the resolution of that tension is. You, you go in that blind and it's that thrilling when you start going down in this direction that you take us in. Was that a challenge to nail in the writing and keep it scary? I mean, uh, for instance, Justin Long's character is hilarious, but he's also so freaking dark. And to be right. able to maintain yeah. that and, and not make it uh, almost like a parody of itself... There's a lot going on there. Was any of that challenging in particular to design? No. Uh, is is really the only honest answer I can have is like, you know, I wrote Justin's whole whole journey probably in a day or two. Wow. Um, probably in two hours. It was just, it just, that's when you know you're kind of on the right track when it just kind of goes. And like, I just felt like antenna to God kind of stuff going sure. on where I was like, um, it, it that that tone is kind of my my sweet spot you know um of like kind of funny and kind of dark at the same time is just what i feel like i naturally gravitate to and so um it was just a very ripe character i feel like it, it's based off of a real person and i just was imagining that person in this scenario and i just i just wrote what i thought he would do and um it, it just kind of turned out the way it, it was and as far as like worrying about the tension in the and the and the pacing of it you know because I didn't know, I didn't have this story outlined. Right. So I you, didn't you know what the backwards. next scene was ever going to be. Yeah. So as I'm writing, I'm just entertaining myself, you mm. know? So as long as I'm curious and I'm engaged and I have no idea what's about to happen, which was my experience writing it, yeah. then I was pretty sure that the audience would be in the same position. Like, how could they be ahead of me? I'm not ahead of me. There's no way anyone could know because I, I don't, you know? Oh, I love that. How about the nah. title, Barbarian? Was that always the <laughs> No, I had to I had to I had to save the document and um I had to write a write a title down on the on the doc, so I I wrote Barbarian. And then what's funny though is like obviously uh I think it came from Barbary Street, like probably the first session of writing, like I I, I called the street Barbary Lane or whatever I called it. And okay. So Barbarian probably came from that, I think. But what's really funny is like some of the YouTube comments, I've seen some comments that have blown me away where someone's like, really smart, really smart. The address is 476 Barbary. 476 was the year that Rome fell to the barbarians. And I was like, what? Is that true? And then I Googled it and it is true. I was like, I did not know that. Dude. And then I didn't even realize. I had no idea. And then another comment I saw was like, yeah. barbarian, very smart, very smart. It's actually an angram of Airbnb. And I was like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about it, but it is <laughs> like that's I. <laughs> hey, all right. That's awesome. Yeah, oh, weird. That is so great. That is so great. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, the uh, music by Anna Dribbic just fantastic. It, it works on so many levels to not just create mm. that sense of dread, uh, but also for those moments where the scares come into play. Did you get to work with her closely on crafting the music? So, dude, it, this was crazy. I had a, a series of complications uh, with the music on this movie, and uh, Anna came in at the 11th hour. Wow. So I hired her when delivery was three weeks away. So three weeks she had to score the, this entire movie. Um, oh and it was just God. one of those things Man. where I was like, wow. I was like, we're going to just work all day, every day. Are you, are you down? And she's like, 
I think so. And we just, I would go over to her house and just like, kind of like sing to her kind of what I wanted. And there were some things where I would like literally sing like some acapella, like screams that I don't even think made it in. I mean, she was so collaborative and so like giving and, and really just, just put the pedal to the metal and, and she crushed it. Yeah. So happy with her. And then did you have a hand in, in choosing your cinematographer, Zach Cooperstein? Well, I mean, I hired him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he was, he was great. Like Zach's process is like a perfect process for me. Um, and that, you know, we would go to the locations, you know, weeks in advance and photo board, you know, the entire movie really. So we would go to the location and we would go with a couple of like stand-ins and we had apps on our phones that would show us different lenses. And we would just, we would set up exactly how every scene was going to be shot with what lens at what angle. And that was it. And then we would show up on set with a big poster board. And we had every frame taped up on this poster board. So if anyone wanted to know what we had to do that day, they could go look at the board and it really helped everyone be prepared. And it helped me not have to worry about anything on set except talking to the actors and uh, it was it was really like uh, I want to do it that way forever. Wow. It was perfect. What yeah. gave you that? What gave you the idea to do it that way? Was that something that Zach was his idea? That's his process. And I, when he kind of broke his process down for me, I was like, "This is perfect. This is exactly what I want." That's incredible. So, and what about yeah. what about him? Interested you in what he does? Was there a previous work? He, I mean, he did the vigil, right? Did he? He, he did he, the vigil, which I thought was lit uh, in a really cool way. I loved. Mm. I loved how it looked very, um, very composed and yet natural. Um, uh, my, my original choice for the DP was Drew Daniels, who who shot It Comes at Night, which I really loved the quality of light in that movie. But I, I we didn't even go to Drew Daniels because I think he was like busy on something else. And so I was like researching a bunch of other DPs. And I really liked Zach's work on The Vigil. And then I watched this movie he did called The Climb, which is a series of like very elaborate Steadicam shots. It's a great movie. And I just I just realized like the the guy that can that can pull off a movie like this is a dude that can like rise to any challenge. And I need, I need somebody who's like ambitious and willing to take risks. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was a great collaboration. I, I loved working with him. When it comes to the supplementals, we see a lot of horror films that are ruined by the trailers. Plot points, major things are kind of exposed in order to get, you know, people interested in the movies. And I understand that. But as you said, this trailer does not do that. It, it's it's part of the whole sleight of hand. Did you get to have an opportunity to say, this is how I want a trailer even to look like everybody's got to be on the same page here? I think sort of. I was very, very adamant that we we stay out of spoiler territory. But luckily, Disney was on the same page. Mm. Like that wasn't a battle I had to fight. And I worked on I worked with one of their guys on on a trailer that I'd been kind of pushing on. And it, it was OK. It was all right. Uh, and then, you know, we were kind of approaching the deadline and this 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 guy, uh, Joe, who works at Disney, he was like, let me show you this other trailer I've been kind of kicking around on my own. And he and he played me the trailer basically as it is with that great Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song. And it was just like and it was like, dude, I've been wasting everyone's time. Like, this is so good. Like, this is it. Let's do this. And so they were like, cool. I mean. You worry or I worried, you know, I'm an indie guy. This was an independent movie that like ended up with Disney. Like yeah. this was supposed to never have the the life that it's having right now. That was not the plan ever. And so when you get kind of sucked up into the Disney, you know, giant court, they're the biggest media company on earth. Yeah. And they're going to put it out. And I'm like, 
it's like I, I have no power. I thought I was like, you know, like I'm going to get obliterated by the machine. They have been so like this is true. They have been so considerate and like they've been seeking my opinion out and they have been collaborative. And I, I just it's been amazing. So I, I I've just had a wonderful experience. They get it. And I think they're doing a great job. It's it's crazy. Yeah, no, they really they really are tremendous. I mean, how often do we project, hear directors right? be like, they don't know how to market my yeah, movies. Exactly. They're ruining it. Like that happens all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world. Too. Yeah, it really, really does. All right. Well, I mean, at this point, we're going to start getting into some spoiler territory just because we have some questions about where this goes. Okay. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, exactly. now's the time. No. Please stop. Don't ruin it for yourself. <laughs> I promise you, you will enjoy it more if you push stop right now and go see it. Okay. Exactly. You're still here. Yes, you've seen the movie yeah. or you're a dirty, dirty son of a bitch. Oh, I've, I've, had, I've seen people like on social media who've seen caught it at like festivals and, and things and, you know, uh, press screenings who are like, don't even look at someone who's seen it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's my yeah. favorite. Because yeah, same thing. We went yeah. and saw we went and saw it on the Disney lot, which was an amazing experience. Just as that, but not having even seen a trailer, I didn't even know oh. anything about. It. I just heard this barbarian. Didn't know what. The That's hell. the best way to see it. it. The That's the best. best. Way to see it. it was the yeah. best. But anyway, yeah. uh, okay. The Boo Crew will be right back. The spirits of the dead can indeed invade the human body. Beyond this gate lurks an experience that will touch a fear you never knew you had. The Legend of Hell House. From 20th Century Fox, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. For the sake of your sanity, pray it isn't true. We want to get into the physical aspects of bringing this world to life. Okay, let's do it. All right. Okay. Full spoiler. We'll go there. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So the secrets that the house holds. All right. A wonderful achievement in set design, my friend. Oh, thank you. What was the process of designing and constructing? And, And first of all, how far into its detail did you even conceptualize in the script? Okay, before I get into this, can we go a little long? Because I'd like to give you the long answer to this, but I I don't want to be like worried that I'm going to talk about this forever and then we're we're, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry. We're all good. Because I'm cool to go long if you guys are okay. Definitely. Okay. So yeah, I I was very specific in my head of of the the architecture and the look of the subterranean levels of this house. Right. Um, We filmed this movie in Bulgaria. And, and part of the deal of going to Bulgaria to shoot this movie was that when, you know, I was basically told, this is your art director. This is your wardrobe designer. These are your effects supervisors. I didn't get to like interview people and like select. <laughs> wow. They were like, this is who it is, which was terrifying to me. Yeah. Right. But thank God I was given like wonderful experts, like across the board, like the people they gave me, it's Ivan Doikov was my 
was my dare films in Bulgaria. It saved my life. He made this movie. He like, he just lined me up with the best of the best. And so this woman, Rossi Bekeva was my, my art director. And I over zoom while she was in Bulgaria and I was here, I, you know, we went through, I designed the blueprints and like, we, we talked about like what it should look like. And she built the whole thing on a soundstage, the whole first floor, like the, the couch and the kitchen that's on a soundstage. The basement is on a soundstage. The tunnels are on a soundstage, this street exterior. That's, that's on a, a field in Bulgaria. And we built 13 facades of the neighborhood. No to way. Like, and rebuilt wow. them to look like the 80. Yeah. For the Richard My movie is only $4 million. Like, think about it. Like, it's amazing what wow. they were able to get. It's crazy. Wow. Now, what about functionality? I'm always, cu- I'm curious about that. Like the actual, the way that the door opens with that rope through the hole. That was wall, a functioning door. That actually worked. You pull that rope, that door opens. And There's nobody part, back there like pulling the yeah, door. Like yeah. that's how it worked. And was yeah, that part it. of the script idea too? That's, did you think that out? That that's I, how it in the script, get into it? I thought the door was going to open in. Okay. Uh, and then I realized how would that work? Like if it opened in, how would the mother like pull the door closed and then stack stuff in front of it? Like it has to open out. Yeah. But they kind of like, they challenge, you know, this always happens. You know, you get challenged on the like logistics of your script as you're trying to bring it to life. And you realize, oh, that thing that I just never, you know, I watched this movie a thousand times in my mind, but I didn't really think through every little nut and bolt of like, how is it going to practically play out? So things like that were like little curveballs to me, but like, who cares? It's, it's, it's cooler that it opens the way it opens. Yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) How did you do the, how did you do the uh, illusion of the, the depth of that cavern and that just kind (laughs) of the staircase uh, it just it's goes not on an illusion we I, it was one of the things where like uh, um that was a big war of like can we build that that deep staircase uh as long as it needs to be and they weren't going to let me for safety reasons because it was too tall and they're like we can't build you a staircase that goes 30 meters down yeah i was like it's got to be 30 and they're like it's we can do 20 and i was like it's got to be 30 and we like we just dug in and they built us a 30 meter staircase that is like it's that long that's not an illusion that's real it's crazy on a stage yeah (laughs) that's extraordinary amazing man Oh my God. And what about like mo- the mother's lair and the, the back room with Richard Brake and all that stuff? Was that all again, stuff that all you built had on the stage and yeah. all part of the, all part of the, the plan, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. All right. Well, the design of, of mother. Yeah. There was a book I was really into as a kid. It was like a, a illustrated book of Beowulf and uh, Grendel's mother in that book is just like this image that I've always carried with me. It's just giant alabaster naked woman with like a tangle of black hair that covers most of her body. And I was just like, this is so scary. I just thought she was so scary. And that's it. I, that was it. Like that's the, that's, I found that book. And I sent that out when I made my lookbook for investors. I was like, this is what the mother's going to look like. I just showed them that illustration from Beowulf. And when I, you know, went to Bulgaria, I, I was like, I wanted to look like this. <laughs> and, you know, obviously I designed like some prosthetic stuff for the face and all, but um, it didn't go much deeper than that. I just straight up lifted this, this Beowulf illustration. Yeah. So you were there on, on hand, making sure that it looked when they were doing oh, yeah. the final prosthetics, that it was kind of exactly and what you envisioned. The, the first day that I went to do the, the, the prosthetic kind of look, I, you know, I gave them some, some pointers on like, I want the cheekbones to be a little exaggerated and let's make the nose crooked and no eyebrows and like, you know, fake teeth. And it, it didn't look very scary. And uh, one of my execs at new Regency was there and she like on the drive home, she was like, how do you feel about that? I was like, I think it's good. And she was like, it's not scary. 
And I was like, oh. And so I went home to the hotel and I just, I spent the evening just like Googling like facial deformities. And I came in the next day and I had built a new composite of like really, really gnarly stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I want to use this chin and this cleft lip and these eyes and <laughs> nice. this nose and like this is what we're going to do. And she was like, okay, now we're talking. And so thank God, you know, she challenged me. Uh, and, and I went back in and we redesigned the face and those guys were so good over there. They just did it in like a week and it was ready. So, oh, so yeah. what did you see? Was that done on a, on a maquette statue or how did it, how did the initial, they had it on get- a statue. Yeah. And, um, and then they put it on Matthew, our actor, um, they had like a bust of his face. So they were putting it on a, on a bust of his face. Okay. That's what was going on. Um, yeah. Well, so and, we and was it, uh, well, how about choosing Matthew and, and then the, the creature actor that would kind of take on mother? Was there any pillars of the mother's performance that you were looking to nail in particular yeah. with him? I, you know, I wanted to just make sure it was someone who was very lean and tall and muscular and, uh, Matthew's almost seven feet tall. And, um, you know, I went, I, I went the obvious way, you know, I, I, I offered it to Doug Jones. He said he was shooting Star Trek. I offered it to Javier Botet. He, he was unavailable. Um, I, so I started doing audition like self tapes with all these other, like very tall men. And, um, and Matthews was the best. I mean, he got like in his underwear and was like riding around and like chewing up. There's a scene in the movie I shot where she, she chews a rat and, and baby birds, Justin Long with the rat. And we had, to, we, we cut it out of the movie, oh, unfortunately, no. but um, oh, it was really, really <laughs> gross. And um, so I had him do that scene and he was just game. He was just like really an excellent actor and, and had the physicality down. And then Matthew and I really got into the idea of researching feral children. And like, we learned together that, you know, if a child is not introduced to language in the first two years, they'll never be able to speak because those, those neurons will not connect. And if they don't connect prior to two, they're never going to connect. So you'll be, so the way that the mother communicates in this kind of monosyllabic, you know, almost nonverbal manner Mm -hmm. is like, that's accurate. That's how these sorts of, of adults communicate. And, um, and Matthew brought a lot to the role. You know, he, I was in, um, Bulgaria already and I was gonna shoot I did shoot the 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 video of the woman nursing the baby that that, that's on the TV like we filmed that and he was like can you send me that because I'd like to be able to like mimic her her gestures because think about it this this person has been doing nothing but watching this one video again and again and again a thousand times her whole life and I was like oh my god that is like such a brilliant idea and I hadn't filmed the tape yet so I was I was like I put all these extra gestures in like when she kisses, you know, the forehead and like boops the nose, all of that came from Matthew's idea. So he could have specific things to replicate. And I think it made like the ending of the movie so much stronger that she does these, these gestures and you really understand her character in a much deeper way. Uh, it just shows the, you know, that a lot of people could have attacked that role from just like, Oh, I'm a big monster, blah, blah, blah. But I think Matthew and I really wanted to have this, this, this creature, even though she's not be, be a human, you know, and really, I want you to feel like sad when the mother ultimately gets shot in yeah. the face. Yeah. 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 Know. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of that nursing video, who voiced the narration for that? Oh, that's my wife, Sarah Paxton. Hell yeah! Yeah, what Sarah, Sarah, Sarah nurses. She does the nursing video. She also is like the assistant that introduces the the manager and agent on the phone when when AJ is getting canceled. Oh, That's nice. Kate Bosworth is the is the agent. That's a little fun stunt cast oh, wow. there. Wow, nice. Um, 
And I think Sarah also does another like on the phone thing uh, in another spot too, but she's all over this movie. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So did you end up being able to keep anything for yourself as a, as a souvenir from set? You know what's funny? The only, I didn't. I didn't keep anything. And it's because it's such a whirlwind. You know, by the time sure. it's like, by the time I'm getting on a plane to go home, I still had other things to shoot in America. Mm-hmm. Like we had to go to Detroit and shoot and go to Malibu and shoot. I, I, the movie didn't end like in a big ceremonious way. It was like I, I went right into post. And <laughs> yeah. The only prop I wanted was the, the snake that dangles from her rearview mirror and oh. my DP took it. So <laughs> I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. All the props. That's the one. Not, not the baby <laughs> bottle or anything like that. No? I should have taken the baby bottle. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a yes, way better. Especially because yes. that nipple... <laughs> I had yeah. to have that custom built. Like they, we went through a thousand different nipples that like just didn't look right. And so we had to have the art team like build and like mold like a nipple that would look the way that that looks. Oh, wow. That's amazing. There's so many happy accidents too. It's like, you know, Matthew's like holding it down and one of his wig hairs got caught on the, on oh, the is nipple. Is that what that so, is? Yeah. So I actually stepped on I'm like, get that fucking hair off the thing, you know? And I was like, going to pull it off. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Get more hair on this nipple. You know, it just looks so disgusting. And it was like, that's, you, you, it's just like the happy accidents, yeah. you know? So you, you talked about that one scene about the rat, right? That you had to cut. Uh-huh. Was there anything else that didn't, did ended up on the cutting room floor? Yeah, there were a couple other scenes. There was a great scene where AJ goes to the realtor's office and has like a conversation with the realtor about like his life. And he kind of lies about himself and how well he's doing. And there was a scene where Doug, the neighbor, um, follows Richard Brake to to his front door and kind of accuses him of killing their dog. Right. You know, Uh, and they're great. Like everyone did a good job, but it was just pacing. You just got to you got to move, you know, and and the rat, obviously, I think that the rat scene I love the rat scene. It looks amazing. And it was really the hardest thing to cut. But it's one of those things in horror where like the more you see the monster, the less scary it becomes. Right. And so there was no way to really show the rat without getting really up close and personal with Matthew's face. And I just felt like it was too early to do that. I mean, we're kind of doing it, but I just felt like anywhere we could find that we could pull back, we need to pull back. So uh, we lost the rat. And uh, I think I think the movie's stronger for it, but it hurts. Right. That one hurts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was was it Roy Lee Leo who was telling us about was it the whole segment with Richard Brake that Roy was initially like I don't know if that's going to work cutting uh, away to that. Yeah, that. Roy that, and everybody else. I mean, I think everybody, everybody was, was kind of like on that because everybody was, was gunning for that, was that one scene. Of our As I was shooting scenes. it, I could feel the resistance yep. to, to that scene of like this. Why why do we need this in the movie? Um, not not specifically from Roy, but I just I just that was the general attitude. Sure. And um, what do you think that I'm was? Really glad we kept it. What? Why do you, Why do you think the pushback was? Was it just having I mean, to reset everything and uh, a budgetary thing? Do you think, or or did they no, think it wasn't it didn't a budgetary thing? I I just think it. You know, I don't think people thought of the movie as a triptych, and and I've always thought of it as a triptych. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's a weird structurally, it's a weird movie, and yeah. and I think that you know jumping to Justin is a big ask of the audience sure. to stay with. Yeah, jumping again to Richard, I think, is another big ask, and I think that the the concern would be you're going to lose them. And I was like, my attitude was. We, we already did this before. We pulled the rug out, but we earned them back. Yeah. And so I think at this yeah. point, we can do it again, and they're going to trust that we're going to do it, that we're going to earn it back again. I think like it's part of the rhythm now, and I think they'll be, they'll be accepting. And I also think after Justin falls in the pit and Tess comes out, it's like you need a moment. You need a moment to just like 
cool down and calm down, you know? Yeah. And if you go straight into the bottle and the nursing, it's just like, it's too much. And so I, I also, I want to introduce Richard before you see him in his lair. You know, I want, I want to show, show what he's like. And, and so, um, so I, I, you know, I stuck to my guns on that one. And I think ultimately when we tested it for, for audiences, everybody was down and it wasn't a big fight. You know, it was just no one, everybody at the studio was great to me. Nobody was like, there was no contentious. There was just like, maybe you, maybe yeah. you explore yeah, cutting that. See how yeah, it feels. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, and you, then when the crowd liked it, they liked it. Oh yeah. Well, I, yeah. I wanted to say that, um, you say, you know, the movie has its own unique rhythm and the audience kind of falls into it. I mean, you're exactly right. And now to think of it, you know, from the first act, it does have that reset when we see Justin. It gets super intense. Then when Justin's character pops on, it kind of, where, whoa, what just happened? Oh, my God. I know it lightened the mood. I thought the movie was over because I wasn't watching my watch. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Right. I honestly thought that was it. I thought it ended where it ended. We see the shot of mom. What a weird that, movie that would that's be. It. And I was like, this is fucking brilliant. And then Justin pops on and then there's this whole entire vibe switch. And, yeah. and it was just like, where the fuck is this going? And then you had us all back right into the thing trying to see, well, what's next then? And then yeah. you did it again when Richard Brake comes on. We get that moment of kind of, okay, whoa, uh, we're back in reality here. And what's next then? How does it all tie together? That excitement is part of the ride of this film and it's something that I don't think viewers get uh, that experience very often so it was very special to be able to be a part of that experience as a viewer I gotta say yeah, thank just, you and the way that you kind of weaponized all the tropes that we as horror fans uh, are used to and you use those tropes against us <laughs> it was very freaking smart you know and, oh, and from you, you saying that thing about you what you read and you know all the all the red flags between uh, you know a, a man and a woman and all those things i mean you weaponized all that stuff against us making us think all the while that we knew what was going to happen right it's just ama- amazingly done my friend amazingly oh, thank you so done. much thank you so much leo you yeah. had yet another question about the ending yeah the ending the tower scene and the falling the order of operations of who falls first and what we see below on the ground is different than uh, what we think. Was there a reason for mother being below and Tess on top? So, yeah. All right. So I actually shot um, a scene of them falling a, a shot, I should say, where the mother, you see the mother kind of grab Tess and like kind of position herself. She like rotates. So she's under her so that we really get the the mechanics of what's happening. Um, and it was okay. It, it was, it was like, look, Physics doesn't work that way. If if I fall before you, you can't catch up to me. Sure. You know, that's yeah. not how it works. And so that that's <laughs> right. broken already. So I know that what I'm doing is I'm like bending the the physics of the world. So I actually showed this to uh to Jordan Peele when I was like really early on and and getting the cut ready and and he he was like He's like, that shot is the shot that breaks it for me. He's like, I, I think if you take that out, I think you're going to have a better, a better thing. And I did. And it, he was completely right. Believe it or not, Jordan Peele's a smart guy. And, um, and, it, and it solved the problem of the scene in my mind. I, now, maybe you're bringing it up because it didn't, it didn't work for you. But, but to me, it's the best version of the scene that I could have cut together is the way it is now. So, and, and I like that it, you know, you see the mother jump towards the camera, it cuts to black. You think they're probably both dead. And then when AJ looks over the over the over the lip and you 
see their positioning. Hopefully, the 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 goal is that the audience will kind of retroactively do the math of what happened right. and put it together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you feel like that was accomplished, or or are you kind of asking because like you didn't buy it? No, actually, uh, I thought that maybe perhaps uh, mother would have like cuddled her in the last moments and positioned herself that way, you know? Right. No, yeah. matter who, no matter who fell first, she was being motherly at the end and wanted to cuddle her baby, you know? Well, I think she would definitely be much more motherly to Tess because they have like, you know, much more time together. But but right. yeah, I had much more elaborate things for every one of the death scenes, but time and resources and, you know, the sun's coming up and you got to shoot what you can. So like every single one was kind of like a, a, a redone improvised thing on the moment. We had to be really light on our feet. Like there's in the script, you know, when she smashes Bill Skarsgård's head to pieces, she didn't rips his jaw, his lower jaw off and shoves his jaw into his own eyes and oh. then shoves him down. And we filmed it and it just wasn't looking great. Like the, the, the prosthetic wasn't working and we, you know, your jaw actually is wider than your eyes. Sure. So it was like, you know, we had to like shave the jaw down and, and it was just like, what are we doing? We're like spinning our wheels here. Let's just move on. Like she's already smashed his head to bits. Let's just let that be. Yeah, the yeah, deal. Yeah. You know, so like every scene had kind of a concession. So like Justin's head, you know, explosion, like if I could have shot that a bunch more times, I would have, but the sun was literally coming up. I had one take and that's the take we had. So oh. I was like, all right, well we we're done. You know? So is this a one and done uh, in this in this world, or have you imagined any particular return to this universe at all? I mean, what would the return possibly be? The you know, if people oh, have who asked knows. <laughs> I mean, well, what, what would the sequel one, be? I was like, character. I think was that there's one character that knows what's going on on that street, so he's seen a thing or two over the years. So I figure there's more story to tell. What character? Uh, oh, the, the homeless that tries to warn her. Yeah, yeah, the homeless, the homeless guy who he's gets dead, destroyed. Dude. Can, or are you just he gets saying his arm ripped off? He gets uh, beat no, to death. Uh, are you just yeah, saying that he's seen, he, right, right. He's seen stuff. He's seen a thing or two over the years. So he knows yeah, yeah. his stories over the years. So there's oh, like a prequel to tell. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the joy of this movie is the, as much the, the method of doling out the information as it is the, the world. And, and I feel like, I don't think there's a way I could, I could revisit this world with the same effective sort of storytelling yeah. method. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, yeah, yeah. so I, I, maybe, maybe there's a sequel. I don't want to never say never, but, um, you know, I, unless it, you go a totally new direction and it's about the mother getting her like, you know, degree from community college and her learner's permit and trying to get integrated <laughs> into society, which I would watch. So now, I mean, now that this thing is, out there or about to be I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of people asking from some of these same companies who might have turned down the original script oh Zach you got to make horror movies with us are you thinking of returning to horror for your next film or is it oh yeah definitely I'm I'm writing a horror right now it's way more ambitious than Barbarian it's way weirder and I don't know if I'm going to pull it off oh my Uh, god it's a really difficult (laughs) script I'm like 65 pages in I know how it ends I just can't get the beginning to link up to the ending so I, I don't know if I'm gonna pull it off or not um, I'm also I'm writing a couple other things the, the thing I'd love to do next I actually wrote like a movie that takes place in the DC universe and it's it's uh, wow. believe it or not which is so not normally my thing I'm not a superhero guy but I just couldn't stop thinking about this one story that kind of takes place in like a Batman adjacent thing and so I wrote it and I'm like utterly obsessed with it so one day it's not gonna happen in the next two years but one day I want to make I want to make that 
Um, but but before I'm allowed to do that, which will not happen anytime soon, I, yeah, I'll, I'll try and crank out another horror movie. Oh, for that's sure. brilliant. Horror. Uh, what, is, just, what is it about? Yeah. I mean, now that you've went headlong into making your own horror film, what is it about that the experience of making a horror movie and telling that the, the, a tale in that genre that ignites you? I guess it's the, it has a lot to do with like comedy for me. Sure. You know, I think comedy and horror are so closely connected. We're, they're both about rhythm and tone and being one step in front of the audience, right? And zigging when they expect you to zag. You know, both of them are like kind of mathematical to me. And, and mathematical, sure. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're both about an equation that, that results in surprise. And, and so I just really like to treat every scene like a little magic trick, which is how I think of comedy as well and and it's just like little fine-tuning adjustments here and there can like really yield or negate a, a giant result and so um that just stimulates some weird part of my brain and i really love to like tackle each scene and try and maximize the effect so um yeah that, I'm, I'm into it i'm into it well said man well said and to uh, an alarming effect yeah. in barbarian my yeah. friend seriously oh, thank wow. you so much yeah. well uh, and the se- secret possible secret sauce here for your next okay. horror movie two words sarah paxton <laughs> oh absolutely dude absolutely if, if, if i if i can i absolutely will you know and i, I don't because i don't write for for a specific character yeah. you know i i or actor i should say so she'd um, have to audition all right zach well thank you so much for your time man and for making this yes. extraordinary oh, adventure this us, was man. such this a pleasure is, for yeah. me guys thank you yeah. thank you so oh, much man, for having man. me oh, it means yeah. everything to us that was the boo crew podcast episode 344 special thanks to our guest zach Kreger. at time of release his masterpiece barbarian is in theaters now production tracks for this episode provided by power man 5000 Till next time, on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.